Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading in the King James. This is, we're still uh, teaching on the mighty Holy Ghost. This is part 6. Subtitle, Impatience, Brother Joe, Impatience. I started out by titling it Impatience and Pride. But the time I realized how much I had on impatience, I didn't have enough room for pride. That might have to come on another day. <laughs> Now, I know we've been doing a lot of teaching on the Holy Ghost, and sometimes we repeat things, and, uh, but we need repetition to learn. And I like to say that I always repeat things. Uh, I plan to repeat things, but sometimes I just repeat them. But anyway, uh, you know, there's more size on a mountain than just one, and we're trying to get to the top of the mountain to see what we can see, and sometimes you go up a different side and you get different scenery and stuff so that's what we're doing we're climbing the same mountain but from a different side this morning acts 1 verse 1 says the former treaties have i made O theophilus of all that jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the holy ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, after his resurrection. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, undeniable proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father which he saith he which saith he, ye have heard of me. So apparently he had made this promise before. And we know that promise to be is the Holy Spirit. He says, he commanded them. He didn't suggest that they go to Jerusalem, but he, said he, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Ghost. So I want to talk to you this morning about one of the most important, and, and I believe, the most one of the most powerful things that the enemy can use against us and that's impatience how many knows that there's a lot of impatience in the society we're living in today and jesus met with his disciples after his resurrection one last time uh, right before he ascended into heaven and he commanded them that they should not depart from jerusalem but wait wait for the promise of the father and again, is the mighty Holy Ghost. And, you know, wait is a four-letter word, and no one likes to hear it. Uh, the generation we're living in demands instant gratification. That's why we have, you know, microwaves and uh, drive-through windows. And uh, how many still perk a pot of coffee? Nobody percolates a pot of coffee. It's not that it's bad. Percolated coffee is really good if you percolate it right, you know. Some of, some of you are looking at me like, what's a percolator? <laughs> but it's making coffee the old-fashioned way. I used to like cowboy coffee. I just put some coffee grounds in some water and boil it and then strain it before it went into the cup. But I like strong coffee. But people don't have time for that now. Now we have Keurigs. I think everybody knows what a Keurig is. You put the little pot in there, close it, press the button, and a minute later you're sipping hot, fresh coffee. I love it. It's good. I don't have no complaints about it, but uh, the reason we have them and the reason they were invented is because people are looking for faster, simpler ways to enjoy the things of life, right? Instant gratification. We want it now. And the reason we want it now is because we're impatient. I don't want to wait 15 minutes for a pot of coffee to percolate and boil. And impatience, though, has caused us to miss out on a lot of blessings. And, and again, one of them is that you never had a cup of percolated coffee, some of you young people. You just go to Starbucks and order it at the drive-thru. Or 
like I said, you use one of them instant pods, you put it in and you get coffee right away. But it caused us to miss out on a lot of blessings and especially in the kingdom of God because you could have all the faith in the world, but if you're impatient, you are going to lose out on some of the benefits and the promises that God has given us. But in the Old Testament, God the Father revealed his work and his purposes on the earth and then the transition from the Old to the New Testament revealed the manifestation of Jesus doing the work of the Father and preparing believers to receive the Holy Ghost. There was some preparation time for this. It didn't just come out of a hat. And, and then after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Ghost is revealed along with his purpose, his ministry, and uh, his ministry to the believers and his purpose for the believers. And the scriptures refer to him as not only the promise, but the gift of the Holy Ghost or the gift of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we hear that as being baptized with the Holy Ghost, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, being filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, and as we know, Jesus is the one that actually does the baptizing. He's the one that ministers the baptism in the Holy Ghost. So uh, John said, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So Jesus is the one, when you pray and ask God to give you the Holy Ghost, or you pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Jesus is the one who does it. The Holy Ghost does everything else in the ministry, but he can't baptize himself into you. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. He comes and visits you personally and baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. What an honor, amen? And so Jesus... Uh, told his disciples before he ascended uh, that when they were baptized with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, that they would receive power and they would be witnesses for him all over the world. And so they did as he commanded. They went to the upper room uh, of a building in Jerusalem and they tarried there, the King James says, or they waited there. Now, uh, we're going to go over some statistics and a little bit of history here but it's going to be really interesting because we need to understand uh, how Pentecost came and why it came and why it came on the day that it did and why everything fell into place the way that it did so it's going to be very interesting but here they are in the upper room a bunch of believers but when the day of Pentecost was fully come that's why they're waiting until the day of Pentecost fully come, the old covenant was fulfilled when Jesus was raised from the dead and the new covenant began. So those that believe in Jesus as a Messiah from that time to this time and beyond, they were baptized into the body of Christ. They became believers. They became a part of the body of Christ, a part of the bride of Christ. And the church age began at Pentecost. And it will continue until Christ returns at the rapture of the church. That will be the end of the church age. We all go to heaven with Jesus. Uh, seven years of tribulation starts. And uh, that's the end of the church age. That's the end of the age of grace. And that's when God brings judgment upon the earth. But the day of Pentecost also witnessed signs with, which followed the coming of the Holy Ghost. And one of those signs is, is that Jesus told the disciples, he told you and I, believers, he told believers that uh, uh, they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover and they will speak with new tongues. And that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Those believers that got baptized, they spoke with new tongues, new languages. Pentecost comes from a compound Greek word ca uh, that's called Pentecosti. It's two words, penti and costi. Penti means five, like a five-sided figure, like our pentagon is five sides. Uh, uh, pentagram, everybody's familiar with this, five sides. And then the word costi actually means to the tenth power. In other words, it's five times ten, and you come up with fifty. That's all Pentecost means is fifty. So according to prophecy, Pentecost would occur... 50 days after Passover on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. But since Jesus was crucified on Friday, 
it would not work out for the day of Pentecost to come on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. It would cause Pentecost to fall on the wrong day. And people are all over the place with this. I looked at different commentators, and it is, it is complicated at first because you, you want to count from Passover, and you're way off if you count from Passover. And uh, so then you try to count from Sunday because it's 7 times 9 plus 1 is 50, you know. So seven Sundays from resurrection, but you come up with 40, 49, you come up short. And, and so... Uh, God gave us directions in Leviticus chapter 23, and it really simplifies it. He tells us how to observe the Feast of Pentecost, and he says in verses 15 through 17, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, which is a Saturday. The Sabbath for the Jews is a Saturday. It's the last day of the week. But our Sabbath is on a Sunday, the first day of the week. He says, and you should count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah, and they shall be of fine flour, they shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. So here he tells us how to observe Pentecost and how to count it. And he says the day after the Sabbath, the first Sabbath after the Passover, then you begin to count. That's a Sunday. But uh, Passover occurred on Friday. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. So it, it wouldn't make any difference if he was crucified on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. Uh, you still don't start counting until the day after the first Sabbath after the Passover. And so that's where we start counting. But God knew that his son was going to rise from the dead on Sunday. And that's the first day of the week. And since Jesus had to be crucified on Friday at a precise time, I'm going to do a little showing off for the Bible. I'm not showing off. I'm showing off for the Bible because I want you to see how precise and accurate that the Bible is concerning these things. And when it prophesies something, it's fulfilled to the letter 100%. So where people go wrong, like I said, is counting to 50 as they start from Passover. They start from Saturday, which is the Sabbath. Uh, but then the Holy Spirit, like I said, will come on the wrong day. But like Leviticus tells us, start counting the 50 days on the day after the first Sabbath following Passover, which would be Sunday, because Passover Saturday, the first day is Sunday. So it didn't make any difference, like I said, what day it fell on. It would still, you still start counting on the first Sunday after that. So let me show you how precise the Bible is. On Passover morning at 9 o'clock a.m., the Jews sacrificed their lamb by slicing his throat and shedding his blood. At the same exact time, 9 o'clock a.m., they nailed Jesus to the cross. Our Passover, Passover is our uh, prophetic model for the crucifixion and everything. At 3 p.m., they put the slain lamb in an oven. At 3 p.m., they put Jesus in the tomb. Sometime between the killing of the lamb and the putting in the oven, uh, the father of the house, the one who slayed the lamb, would take a loaf of bread and he would hide it somewhere in the house. And uh, that was a type of Jesus being tucked away in the tomb. That loaf of bread that he tucked away somewhere in the hiding place in the house was a type of Jesus being tucked away in the tomb. Because Jesus is what? The bread of life. He's the loaf that came down from heaven, if you will. And then on Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, following the Passover... The father would take this loaf from his hiding place and he would wave it before God as a first fruit offering. Now that is what we just read about in Leviticus. And that represented the harvest to come. He was asking for a blessing on the harvest that was going to come. The harvest from the fields, the real harvest of fruit and grain and stuff. And uh, the day after that Sabbath, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus, the bread of life, came out of the tomb, the bread that was tucked away 
in the tomb. He comes out, and he was presented before God and the world as the wave offering, the loaf. And uh, it represented the world harvest of souls that was about to come. So, you know, the, the, the father in the house, he's asking God to bless the, the natural harvest. And when Jesus comes out of the resurrection, he's the wave offering, and he's asking God to bless the harvest of souls on the earth. So Pentecost marked the summer harvest for Israel, and the wave offering in Leviticus 23:17 was two loaves of bread baked with leaven. And Pentecost marked the beginning of the harvest on earth. And like I said, Jesus uh, marked the beginning of the harvest of the earth. And the two loaves are symbolic of the church being made up of Jews and Gentiles. That's everybody. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. I know there's different nationalities and things, but you're either a Jew or a Gentile. That is the entire earth. So you see how perfectly the Bible fits together? And that's why the Holy Ghost has to come exactly 50 days after the resurrection. Uh, he has to come on Easter Sunday, or on Sunday, the first day of the week. Uh, it's because it was already prophesied. It was in fulfillment of the prophetic model that was given to us through Passover that Israel observed every year. So as we observe the prophetic model of the first four feasts, and, and this is really beautiful here, the first four feasts, feasts that the Lord instructed Israel to celebrate will notice that they were prophetically revealing that Jesus was crucified on the Feast of Passover, buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, raised on the Feast of first fruits, and then he sent the Holy Spirit on the Feast of Pentecost. That's the first four fruits uh, feasts in the Bible. There are seven feasts, but the uh, first three uh, are kind of combined together at the same time of the spring, and then Pentecost is uh, so many days later, it stands by itself, and then there's trumpets and the other two feasts that come after that. Well, right now, we're, we're in the Feast of Pentecost uh, because we haven't seen the fulfillment of the fifth feast, with, which is the Feast of Trumpets, and it's believed that that is going to be when the Lord comes back to rapture the church on the Feast of Trumpets. And so until then, we remain under Pentecost. We're still in the Feast of Pentecost. We're living in the Feast of Pentecost. We're not just celebrating it once a year, but we're living in the, fe in, in the Feast of Pentecost. And we will remain here till the rapture of the church. And that's the Feast of Trumpets. So, uh, you know, you've heard me say before that we are fulfilling the book of Acts. We're still living in the book of Acts. The book of Acts never ended. It continued with the church or the church age. But anyway, let's get back to impatience. I just wanted to show off the Bible a little bit. But we know Jesus had a post-resurrection ministry of 40 days, right? I mean, he came out of the grave and then he hung around 40 days and he appeared to many above 500, Paul said. We're going to read that in a minute. But anyway, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus in his post-resurrection ministry was seen by over 500 brethren. That isn't counting all the women he was seen by and the children he was seen by, but over 500 brethren and then also the apostles. So he was, he was seen by over, way over 500, might have been even in the thousands that he was seen after his resurrection. And so it's believed that they started out with well over 500 people waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. Because Jesus not only sent his uh, disciples or his apostles of the Lamb, but all of those followers of his was considered disciples too. So he commanded all of his followers to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. So I don't know how many went to Jerusalem. I know they didn't all fit in the upper room, but I don't know how many went, but it had to be, I believe, way over 500 people that went to Jerusalem to tarry or wait for the promise of the Father. But since he had a, we're counting 50 days from his resurrection or the day after the Sabbath, and uh, 
he was on the earth 40 days. He ascended into heaven. And then uh, there was 10 days left to Pentecost. So that's the time that they had to wait in Jerusalem. That's not a long time, is it? 10 days. And they were in Jerusalem in the upper room praying and fasting. And so uh, by the time the day of Pentecost was fully come, how many was left? 120. Out of all those people, 120. Don't tell me impatience isn't a problem. It is a problem, and it's still a problem today. But, you know, I mean, for some reason, we fall short when it comes to patience. I mean, we overcome a lot of things, but when it comes to patience, we fall short, and we miss out on a lot of blessings because of it. We miss out on a lot of the promises of God because of it. Because, like I said, you could have great faith, but if you're lacking patience, you're not going to enjoy the promise. You're not going to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. And, uh, you know, people have a hard time waiting on God. And we really fall short in this area because just like those in the upper room, we start out strong. But somewhere along the line, we lose patience. We start out strong in prayer. And then we lose patience. We start out strong in the word. I'm going to read the word. Bless God every morning, every night. And then we fall short. And we start out on a, uh, we step into the uh, arena of faith for a healing or a financial blessing or we're believing something for our children. And again, we start out strong, but somewhere along the line, we lose patience and we fall short before the manifestation ever comes. And, and God is trying to teach us patience. And, and we'll see here this morning how important patience is. And it's unbelievable how much of a hurry this society is in and, and the amount of pressure there is to make decisions you know and whenever you're under pressure to make a decision that's the devil he's the one that brings pressure God leads with peace the Holy Ghost leads you with peace and anytime you're feeling pressure that's when you need to stop back off and say nope I'm not making a decision under pressure I'm going to wait on God and I'm going to trust God and I'm going to pray and I'm going to meditate on the word concerning this problem and I'm not moving until I have peace from God but we don't do that we can't wait we don't have the patience to wait on God to bring the answer so we come up with our own answer and it usually turns out to be a big mistake I mean that's how we get married that's how we buy cars that's how we buy houses that's how we make big financial decisions, uh, we move uh, geographically, uh, we, we do a lot of things under pressure, and then we find out later it's the wrong thing to do. And, and I've always said that buying cars especially, anytime the, the uh, salesman starts putting pressure on you, just tell them, I'll see you in a few days if I decide to buy it and leave, just leave. Uh, well, the car won't be here. That's fine. God got another one for me. It'd be a better one, you know. And don't ever yield to that pressure because you're going to make a bad decision. Amen? Hallelujah. Take the time out to listen to the Holy Ghost. His job is to lead us and guide us into all truth and knowledge. He knows all truth. He knows all knowledge. And not only that, but he knows the future. You don't. That thing that looks really good now might not look as good a year or two down the road. But the Holy Ghost knows that. And he'll tell you, no, this isn't the right one. And if, you never, if that peace never comes, the answer is no, don't do it. Amen? So don't do anything under uh, pressure. The Holy Ghost will help you make right decisions. But that takes patience. And just like any other discipline, we don't like it. Patience has to be developed. See, you're not going to do this overnight. You have to learn how to be patient. And it's painful. I'm telling you, it is painful learning these disciplines, especially patience. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. Amen. And so it takes patience to get this strength sometime. And that's one of the things that patience brings you is strength. But when you step out on your own and you do your own thing, you, you waste more time than you think because, number one, you'll probably do the wrong thing. And that it has to be corrected. And, and besides that, if you uh, 
have to do it over again because you did it wrong the first time or made the wrong decision the first time, how much, how much longer does that take? And so we, we, we step out too soon being impatient, but then we wind up waiting longer than it would have taken if we would have just waited for the right answer to begin with. Y'all with me this morning? It's the Holy Ghost's job to reveal to you the plan of God for your life. That's his job. He was sent. That's part of his ministry. And he does it with great pleasure. He wants to do it. It gives him pleasure to do it. He's not holding back secrets from you. If you ask, he takes great pleasure in giving you the answer that you need, the right answer every time. He knows the way and he knows what's best for you. And he knows the future. How many people know the future? I'd like to know the future on a lot of decisions that I made in the past. But I, God never showed me the future. But the Holy Ghost knew the future. Amen? And I didn't get to see it until I was in it. But if I took the time to listen to him, it was a, it was a, a favorable future that I stepped into. The Apostle Paul told us, he says, Don't be lazy, but follow them who through faith and patient inherit the promises. Faith and patience. And I don't know why, but for some reason, Paul associates laziness with patience. I'm not just saying that as a quip. I really don't know why he associates laziness with patience, but there must be a reason. But one of them he told us to follow after is Abraham. And God promised to bless Abraham and multiply his seed. And the Bible said that after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. What would have happened if he didn't patiently endure? He'd have never seen the promise. He's still patiently waiting and enduring because he hasn't fulfilled the, uh, God still hasn't fulfilled the entire promise for Abraham. That's not going to happen until the church gets to heaven. Amen? Until the harvest is complete. James said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. In other words, be happy when you're in a temptation. Find joy in it because strength comes from joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith or the testing of your faith works patience. In other words, it takes patience when you're being tried. But let patience have her perfect work. In other words, let patience work it out. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So in other words, if you yield to patience, you let patience work it out for you. You don't give in to pressure. You don't give in to the things of the world, the circumstances around you. But you stand steadfast, patiently. You'll be strengthened and you'll be found wanting nothing. Whatever the thing you're believing God for is going to be complete. And then Paul tells us because of patience, he says in Romans 5, 3, and 4, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for they help us develop patience. So he's saying the same thing James said. And patience develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation or our confident hope of healing or our confident Confident hope of prosperity, our confident hope of anything that we're believing God for. Patience develops that strength of character. So he's saying, work it out with patience. Let patience work for you. There's really nothing you have to do except trust God and wait. Be patient. Let patience have her work and let patience work it out for you. Let it do what it was designed to do. It's designed to produce perseverance and endurance. As a matter of fact, uh, patience is translated perseverance and endurance in other places, uh, other translations of the Bible. So it's, it's designed to produce perseverance and endurance, strength of character, because that's what you're going to need to get through the tests and trials of life, the circumstances of life, the challenges of life. You're going to need perseverance and endurance. Like I said, it's not how you start out, it's how you finish. And if you don't have any perseverance or endurance, you are not going to finish. You're going to cop out and miss the blessing and probably have to go through it again. I mean, how long did the children of Israel go around the same mountain? Forty years. Forty years. They could have went around it once. 
uh, the, the distance from Egypt to the promised land, they say, was like an 11 or 12 year journey, and it took them 40 years. Why? Didn't trust God, didn't have the patience and the endurance to follow God through the wilderness one time. Just one time. Matter of fact, God had to do a detour because uh, he knew there were strong armies in this one. I forget about the, it was one of the ites. But he knew they had a strong army and it would scare Israel. So he made them go all the way around the army. But Israel should have trusted God. And if God says, go this way, he's going to get us through this way. Amen. And a lot of times we'll look at the way God is taking our situation and we don't like it. Because it's taking us in a direction that we don't want to go. He's using somebody that we don't like. And so we say, no, I ain't doing it. I'll go this way. And you keep right on going till you get it right. Amen? So when you feel pressured, hurried, pushed to make a decision or do something you're not sure of, just stop. Pull the reins on that thing. And, and pray and meditate on the word and then reevaluate what you're doing. Start asking yourself some questions, you know. What happens if I do it this way? What's it going to cost me? What's it going to produce down the road? Don't just look at the moment. Don't, because that pressure is only for the moment that you're in right now. And, and we don't want to make hasty decisions that are, that are going to produce long-term results. Amen? Like five or six years of car payments. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If you can afford the car payment, that's fine. Amen? Not everybody can go out and pay cash. But the best thing to do, drive a clunker. And that car you wanted to buy, that you were going to pay $500 a month for, keep driving that clunker and take $500 every month that you would have paid if you bought that new car, put it in the bank until you have enough to buy that car you want or the the real car that God wants you to have. And, and it may take a few years to get it, but then finance your own car. Don't pay somebody else 6%, 7%, whatever it's going to be here pretty soon. But finance your own car and then make payments to yourself with interest. And do that until you get that car, the, the amount for that car paid off. And you'll be surprised what you have in the bank. Become your own bank. Become your own financer. And you can do that. It's really possible. Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus said in the parable of the sower, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So no patience, what? No fruit, right? I think it's clear we need to work on our patience. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and what? Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, uh, again, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he also told them that when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they would receive power. Power. And, and this is real power because the word they used was was dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. So this is an explosive power. This is uh, a powerful thing that he's talking about here. And he said, and they would be witnesses for him all over the world. Uh, most people believe that we were uh, baptized in the Holy Ghost to be witnesses. That's the only part of it. Because he said, you'll receive power and be witnesses. The power first. And what's the power for? For you to get through this life successfully and, and, and prosper in your journey. And, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings concerning the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and his ministry. What is his job on the earth? And uh, that's why we're studying him so uh, intensely. We, this is our sixth week of studying on the mighty Holy Ghost. Uh, that's why we're learning about him and learning about his ministry. And especially how to cooperate with him. So that we will be successful, so that we know how to use this power or utilize this power that we've been given at baptism. People get baptized in the Holy Ghost and never use the power that was given them. And, and that's a shame because that power is available to every one of us. And the biggest thing about that power is it's, 
it's not only explosive, but it's staying power. It, it gives you the power to wait. It gives you the power to hold. It gives you the power to overcome things. And uh, like I said before, when talking about quitting smoking and quitting drinking and all the things that I, I went through and tried to do before I got filled with the Holy Ghost and wasn't able to do it, I got filled with the Holy Ghost and then I was able to do it. Why? Because I drew on that power and I just drew on a tiny minuscule amount of that power but it was enough for me to get over my addictions amen. amen and on the day of pentecost the holy spirit came as promised and all of those that were in the upper room the 120 every single one of them was baptized with the holy ghost every one of them and every single one of them spoke in other tongues I can't wait until I do an exclusive teaching on speaking in tongues. I've been packing it away for a long time now. I'm telling you, I got volumes of stuff in my spirit about speaking in tongues and the importance of it. And uh, there's a place in Genesis, I think the 11th chapter of Genesis, where all these people were of one language, one mind, one spirit, and they decided to build a tower into heaven. Well, that's stupid. Nobody can build a tower into heaven. I beg to differ with you. God said they could. God said because they were united, because they spoke one language, because they were operating in one spirit, even though it was the wrong spirit, he said they could do anything that they imagined. And if they imagined building a tower to heaven, they could build it. But God confused their language. He confounded their language. And now, because they couldn't communicate anymore, they were spread out all over the world. And, you know, they say that's how a bunch that spoke Italian ended up here, and a bunch that spoke Spanish ended up there, and a bunch. I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is that they didn't have one language anymore. But here's the question I pose to you. What was that language? They all spoke one language until God confounded them and confused them. And then uh, that's actually considered the curse of Babel. It was a curse uh, that God pronounced on them and confounded their languages so that they could no longer communicate because they were going to build that tower to heaven. And God has shown us that ain't how you get to heaven. You get to heaven my way, not your way. But anyway, we carried that curse up until what? The day of Pentecost. And God restored that language to us. He lifted the curse of Babel and he restored that one language to us. He made us one body, one people, one language. Now you may be German, you may be French, you may be Spanish, Italian. You may even speak those languages, but you're still one body with one language. And that language is the language of heaven, the Holy Ghost. That's the lifting of that curse of Babel. And when we come together as one body, one church, one spirit, and we speak the same language, then we're promised the same thing those people of Babel were promised, that we could have the imaginations of our heart. We could accomplish anything that God tells us to accomplish. And that's part of what's going to bring in this last day revival. And I think we're on the fringes of it now. It's already taking place. And and because God has a sense of humor, I think you're going to see it start in California. Everything else starts there. Why not this revival? It would be a mockery of all the things that come out of California. This one great thing come out of California and sweep the land. Amen? And, and I believe that's already started. I don't know if you know Mario Murillo, but he is a, a fiery evangelist. And uh, he's having tent crusades in places that were considered hopeless by most of the church body and he's starting it in california and i'm telling you it's going to sweep this nation and and i know that there's a scripture that says that you know jesus can't come until there be a great uh falling away uh what what is it called the falling away uh Anyway, I'm trying to think of the word. But anyway, it, it boils down to a great falling away. The church is going to fall away and backslide uh, before this, the return of Jesus. But you can't have both. You can't have a revival and a backsliding at the same time. 
I mean, it's going to be one or the other, and I say it's going to be the revival. Amen? And uh, let me say something else about revival. It would benefit a church as a body. It would benefit this church to be revived. But revival ain't meeting every night and having 10-hour meetings on Sunday. The revival is to come in here, get some refreshment, get some water, get some word, get some Holy Ghost, and take it out there. And They're the ones need revival. We're already alive. Amen? And so revival means you get out there and get people saved and you get this harvest in. Hallelujah. It's going to be a great time in the church, no doubt about it. You're going to see anointings and, uh, you know, the anointing and ministers being elevated to a place you've never seen it before. Anointed praise and worship you never experienced before. Uh, you're going to be anointed in such a way you never experienced before. But then God wants us to take it out there. Amen. And, get, and give it to people that are dead, that need to be revived. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And a lot of that is going on right now. I mean, Sean Foyt, uh, Mario Murillo, and uh, there's all kinds of good uh, evangelists and ministers out there reviving this lost, dead world. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But anyway, there were all 120 the, the Holy Ghost coming in like a rushing mighty wind and like little flames of fire. He alighted upon each and every person. I don't know exactly what it looked like, but everybody had a little flame over their head. And uh, it said that divided, in other words, individually, each person had their own little flame of fire. That's what Jesus said. You'd be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. But here's the thing that's unique about that fire. You couldn't see yours. You can look at Ann and see hers. You can look at Brother Daryl and Chan and see theirs. You can look all around and see everybody's little flame above their head. And everybody had one, but you couldn't see yours. Right. Why? Because you had to believe yours by faith. They could see yours. You couldn't see it. You had to believe it was there. It's the same way with receiving the Holy Ghost today. You might not see anything, you might not feel anything, you might not hear anything, but by faith you got to know it's there. And I don't think it would have showed up in the mirror either. Because it takes faith. And that's why when, you're asked, when, when you ask God to baptize you in the Holy Ghost, you have to believe that he will fulfill his promise. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something about being filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'm going to save a lot of you some grief and some things that you would seem uh, embarrassing to you in receiving the Holy Ghost. Because I felt all those things when I was prayed for to receive the Holy Ghost, because I didn't know what was going on. He called me up to pray for me, and people all around me praying for me, and pushing me, and pulling me, and tugging me, and, and telling me all things, and whispering in my ear, and some screaming in the other ear. I didn't know what was going on. And for a long time, I couldn't receive the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you how easy it is. Stick around. I ain't telling you right now. <laughs> but the devil fights hard against the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because there's power in it. And he knows there's power in it. And he knows that if you don't get baptized in the Holy Ghost, you are going to be a powerless Christian coming, going up and down and in and out until Jesus comes. And you probably never will accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. And one of the biggest lies is that the Holy Ghost and his gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, are not for today. Not for today's church. That's why you don't see the gifts operating in, in a lot of denominations, big denominations. If he can get you to believe the baptism in the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit are not for you, then you will never ask for them. Why would you ask for, any, for something you know you can't have? I know our kids do it all the time, but sooner or later they catch on and they know they're not going to get what they've been asking for. A, it's probably not good for them. B, they probably don't need it. And C, you're the mommy and daddy. So, uh, but sooner or later, they'll stop asking. Why? They know it's useless. And so that's what the devil wants you to believe. 
that the Holy Ghost isn't for today. The gifts of the Spirit aren't for today's church. And the Holy Ghost is especially not for you as an individual. That was just for the early church and the apostles. But let me show you something. Acts 2.37. This is on the day of Pentecost. They were all baptized with the Holy Ghost, 120. But yet, somehow there's 3,000 outside. That's that group I told you about that went there, but then lost patience and left. And uh, Peter preaches the first sermon in the, in the newly fledged, fledgling church. And in Acts 2.37, he says, Now when they heard this, this message on the gospel, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent. That's get saved, right? Baptism of repentance, salvation. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Water baptism. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 39. For the promise. Now what's the promise again? The Holy Ghost. The promise is the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you. Those present and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Has he called you? Are you afar off? The promise is for you and it's for your children. It is for this age. It is for the age of grace. It is for the church age. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for us. Amen. And the reason I'm talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit this morning is because this is where a lot of us fall short. We either don't get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Not talking about us. I'm talking about the church in general. We either don't get baptized in the Holy Ghost for whatever reason. Uh, We don't believe he's available. We don't believe he's for us or whatever. We don't get baptized in the Holy Ghost or we get baptized in the Holy Ghost, but we never get refilled. We get deplenished or depleted, and we need to be replenished and repleted. Because as you're getting deplenished or depleted, in other words, the Holy Ghost is flowing out of you like rivers. That means he's got to be put into you like rivers. And, and, and if he's not being put in as fast as he's going out, you're going to be depleted and you're going to be powerless. Amen. So there's one baptism, but many fillings. And we have to keep ourselves filled. That's our job. Uh, And as a result, we miss out on his power. Another word for the Holy Ghost is paraclete. We studied this. It means helper. Jesus said, I prayed to the Father, and he's going to send you another comforter, a paraclete, a helper. And that's what the Holy Ghost does is he helps. He doesn't do everything for us. He helps us do something when we step out and start it. Amen. Amen. He will help you get it done. He'll help you break addictions like smoking and drinking and weed and crack and porn. He'll help you with your marriage, your kids. He'll help you in school. He'll help you on the job. He'll help you with whatever you put your hand to if you just start out and ask him to help you. And that's where that power comes from. Because like I said, we tried to quit smoking for years. We tried to quit drinking. We tried everything. And nothing worked. We always went back twice as hard. I know the Bible says seven times. I don't want to say it was seven times worse for me. But every time I quit and went back, it was harder for me to quit the next time. Till we got filled with the Holy Ghost. And then never smoked another cigarette. Stopped drinking completely. Stop cussing 99% of the time. I was a truck driver now, so it took a little longer for that. But I was able to do all the things I could never do before because I was getting help from the Holy Ghost. He'll help you live the kind of life that God wants you to live. Uh, He expects you to live, and you can't live by yourself. You have to be dependent on the Holy Ghost to help you. You can do things in yourself. But you can do so much more with his help. 
Paul told Timothy, in the last days, perilous times would come. We're here. He said men would have a form of godliness. Look around. But deny the power thereof, he says, from such turn away. We've got so-called men of God that are promoting abortion, promoting the gay lifestyle, transgender lifestyle, uh, men doing women's sport. These are just crazy things. These are perilous times. And the reason we've been failing as long as we have is because we've been trying to do it in our own power, in our own way. And it's causing us to fail. And, and uh, we're, we're doing it without any power from God. And I don't have time to get into it this morning, but like I said earlier, I wanted to talk about another enemy that keeps us from being successful, and that's pride. Pride will keep you from admitting, number one, that you need help, and it will keep you from receiving the Holy Ghost. That's another thing that keeps you from receiving the Holy Ghost is pride. If I asked for everybody to come up here right now to receive the Holy Ghost, half of you wouldn't come up here, and it would be because of pride. And then some of you would come up because you didn't want to seem out of place or something, but wouldn't receive the Holy Ghost when I prayed for you because of pride. That's why I have another way of doing it. But I'm not telling you right now. But let me tell you something, Mr. Pride, Mrs. Pride. If you can't bring yourself to receive help from your brothers or sisters, the ones that are here that you can see, touch, feel, and talk to, then you will never receive help from God whom you can't see or touch. You won't. God tests you through his representatives in the earth. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No, that wasn't chapter 3. That was Philippians 4, 19. But anyway, how does he strengthen you with Holy Ghost and power? Amen? And we go to church. We dress like Christians. We look like Christians. We try to act like Christians. We, we listen to the word. But when it comes to changing our lives, we deny the power thereof. We can't do that. I know you can't. That's why I'm telling you who can help you do it. And when it comes to giving into the flesh, we deny the power that will overcome sins in our lives. And yeah, it would be painful. It would be hard, but you can overcome every sin in your life. The power comes from the Holy Ghost. He can even tame your tongue whom no man can tame. You can't tame your own tongue, but he can. And the power uh, uh, Jesus said we would be endued with from on high is a power that would make us successful and overcome things rather than have us submit to them and uh, be unsuccessful in those things. It's the difference between you making excuses for what you're doing and where you are and actually overcoming those things. Then Paul describes some of the things that would be going on as a result of denying the power. I think this is where 2 Timothy 3 comes in at. I got them mixed up. But he describes some of the things that would be going on because we denied the power. He said men would be lacking in faith. Because how many knows, uh, yes, we have faith, but there's a special gift of faith. That's, it's a gift of the Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. But men would be lacking in faith, and they would be seduced by all kinds of wicked spirits or evil spirits. And then Paul closed the chapter, and this would be a good place for me to close, by saying, if we would hold fast to the doctrines we've learned and stick with doing the word and wouldn't deny the power that's available to us, then the word would teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives that it would correct us when we're wrong and teach us to do what's right. 2 Timothy 3.16. We need the Holy Ghost in our lives. Amen. We need the Holy Ghost in our lives. Don't think you don't. I've been getting along just fine without him. I've been doing fine. Have you? Have you really been doing fine? How much better will you do with the power of the Holy Ghost in your life? You need the Holy Ghost. And you know what I am going to go on? I'm just going to go and tell you. 
Uh, I was going to save this till we're all finished with the lessons on the Holy Ghost and then tell you how to get filled with the Holy Ghost. But I don't want you to waste any more time. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to do something that you might deem to be embarrassing. And I don't want your pride to kick in because it takes humility to receive a gift. Amen. How many times somebody tried to give you something? Oh, no, no, no. That's right. I don't need that. I'm good. I'm good. No, it takes humility to receive a gift. And if you got enough pride to do that with somebody down here trying to buy you some groceries or buy you a tank of gas or give you 20 bucks because the Lord told them, to, and you say, I, 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 you'll do the same thing with the Holy Ghost. Amen. So you have to come to him in humility. Yes. And you don't have to get filled in the church here. You go home and you start, you might get filled tonight. If you start tonight, you might be filled with the Holy Ghost tonight. It all depends on each individual person. Everybody's different. But if you ask for God to fill you with the Holy Ghost, that is exactly what he will do. Yes, he said, if you ask me for a fish, I'm not going to give you a serpent. That's right. If you ask me for an egg, I'm not going to give you a stone. So if you ask him for the Holy Ghost, he's not going to give you anything else. He's going to give you the Holy That's Spirit. Right. Jesus will personally, as soon as you pray, yes. Jesus will personally come and baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Yes. And you won't be able to see it, but there'll be a flame on top of your head. So don't bother looking in the, in the mirror. It'll be there by faith. You have to believe that it's there. You have to believe that you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm telling you this from experience. This is how I got baptized with the Holy Ghost. After months, I think six months of people praying for me and spitting on me and jerking me from pillar to post, I couldn't get received the Holy Ghost. I went home and the revelation hit me. And, and God says, if I told you I would give you the Holy Ghost and all you had to do was ask, he said, that's all there is to it. And so I, I got on my knees in the bedroom in my house in the middle of the night and prayed and asked God to fill me with the Holy Ghost. And he did right there. I started speaking in tongues. But it took me six months to get there. It may take you a little while. Or you may receive tonight. But I want you to start praying. Every day, every night, sometime during the day or during the night, get on your knees in your bedroom, in the living room, in your car. I don't care. Just say, God, fill me with your mighty Holy Ghost. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. And then give me the utterance to speak in other tongues. Just say that. Just pray that and say amen. And call it done. Believe that he filled you. Believe that he would give you the promise that he promised you. Uh, to you, your children, to those that are far off. He promised you this, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just pray that prayer. And then believe God to do it. And like I said, if he don't do it tonight, no pressure. I, I told you, don't, don't do anything under pressure. If you feel pressured, you're not ready. Don't do anything under pressure. But if you feel a peace about it, start praying. And I know most everybody, if not everybody, is filled with the Holy Ghost in here with the evidence speaking other tongues. But if you're not, then this is the way to get him. And, and not only that, but this is the way to stay filled. Amen. Say, refill me. Amen. Replenish me. Give me a fresh anointing and then get in the word and, and uh, get into prayer and begin to give him avenues to fill you with. You know, if you if you was a bucket, you need a spout and a hose to get some water into you. So find out, find where that outlet is and, and let him pour into you again. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Thank you for the mighty Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. God, give us revelation of who he is and what his ministry is and how he wants to help us, how he wants to indwell us, Lord, and help us to realize that we have the greater one living on the inside of us, the one who knows everything, has all knowledge, has all wisdom, and even knows the future. He knows all truth, and he wants to lead us and guide us into it. And we thank you and praise you that he loves us that much, that you love us that much, that you would give us this mighty power on the inside of us. Help us and teach us to draw from the mighty Holy Ghost. Help us and teach us to utilize the benefits that he has for us and help us to 
learn how to be patient and receive all of your promises through faith and patience. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, like I said, no pressure. Just pray that prayer. Pray it every day until you know you're filled with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Amen. Love y'all. I want the best for you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.